You already know what time it is, Packaging Family. It's another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Uh, this is Adam Peak, and I get another awesome opportunity to share with you about a great person at a great company. Today's episode is with Matthew Wright. He is from the company Spec Wright. If you go to S P E C R I G H T dot com, check out all of the incredible products and solutions that they have there. They allow you to digitize and link your specifications together to create visibility and traceability across your supply chain. So join companies like Kind, J&J, The Wonderful Company, and Beyond Meat, and get your specifications right. Save time, save a ton of money when you know where everything is, when it is in a centralized place. The amount of effort is so much less when it comes to change and new product development. So go to specright.com, check out what they have going on. And if you wanna hear a lot of stuff about the origin of the company from the guy who started it, then stick around for this amazing episode with Matthew Wright from Specright. All right, well, I am here with Matthew Right. Um, Matthew is the CEO of Specrite. Uh, th- now, let me just ask you this before we get into it. I've got a lot of sure. questions, but <laughs> I never, I didn't make the connection until I just said it out loud that your last name is the same as the back half of Specrite. Was that on purpose or yeah, accidental? No, it wasn't intentional. It's funny, uh, going back even further, I, I owned a company called Right Pack, and everybody thought it was me kind of getting full of myself and naming things after me. But no, it really is, is we'll talk about it later, about getting the spec right. And that was the foundation for spec management. So no, it's a, it's a fun play on words, but actually it came from somebody else helping me name it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, that's, I, as I said it out loud, I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if there's a, if there's a connection there. Uh, my uncle, so my, when I got started in packaging, it was with my uncle and my last name is Peak and his last name is Peak and we had Peak Packaging Solutions and that was definitely named because it was my uncle's company. It still is. They're still around today. So that, that's super cool. No, no of them. And uh, that's pretty normal in the packaging business, naming things after family. So yeah, yeah, there, it's a lot of family-owned businesses for sure. And and you've been in the packaging industry for a while now, right? Yeah, I always uh, joke about how long, but it's been twenty plus years. You know, really started. This has been the business I've been in my whole life. So uh, means a lot to me, and, and it's been you know great industry to be part of, as you know. Yeah, definitely. Did you get into it? Like I got into it accidentally. Um, I was a, I was a pastor and then stumbled into packaging through my uncle's company. Did you grow up wanting to be in packaging or how did, how did that transform? I mean, we have a lot of college students who listen to this and they're actually really fascinated by this answer of how people got into it. So yeah, I'm curious no. how that started. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. Similar to yours, but not through the pasture world. But, but yeah, totally accidentally. You know, hopefully as time goes on, that changes to purposefully for people, and I think that is happening today. But as you know, you know, twenty plus years ago, it wasn't the space to, that everybody was running towards. Uh, but no, I, I was looking to get into some sort of high rapid change business. I love seeing things happen, made. You know, and really, quite frankly, like you just said, fell into the opportunity answering a job application ad that, that was out there and and really the rest is kind of history so accidentally but uh, super excited it, it, I found it yeah and which company was that you started with yeah so it was a Moonaki uh, Moonaki New Jersey for private independent called president container uh, 
so family-run business uh, that uh, still is in existence today and thriving. Oh, so a corrugated uh, company that's still family-owned? Yeah, they've moved the, the second generations. Uh, I, I'm not in touch with them anymore, but as growing the company and moved up into New York and, and uh, here, one of the big players in the Northeast. So, oh, so that's, that's yeah. awesome. And, and, you know, obviously the corrugated market has experienced quite a lot of acquisition, you know, a lot of M&A in corrugated and uh, has its own, you know, kind of struggle. So it's always cool to hear about the independents that are still, you know, making a big difference and, and out there, out there crushing it. And yeah, was that primarily, did you stay in corrugated then and kind of paper packaging for a while? Yeah, my whole, my whole life in packaging was fiber based. Uh, I did some when I had my own company, which to talk about some different types of packaging, but primarily it's fiber based uh, packaging, corrugated uh, shippers, displays, et cetera. Got it. Um, well, I mean, we can get into the, you know, the right pack, not named after Matthew Wright, <laughs> but correct pack, I guess, would be another way. Yeah. Um, was... What prompted what prompted you to go from, we'll call it like corporate world with these corrugated, and it looks like, you know, some fairly large corrugated uh, companies or just paper-based companies to say, you know what, there's something missing that I, there's a, there's a problem or a gap here that I can fill and I'm going to go start my own company. That seems like a bit of a, that seems like a leap, right? I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, I know it's a crazy leap, but I think, you know, most people in packaging always wonder, you know, if you're sitting on the corporate side, you wonder, Hey, what is it like to be independent when you're on the independent side You wonder what it's like to be in the corporate world. So I've had a chance to sit on both sides of the, of the aisle there. And, and in a lot of ways they are the same and I can talk through that, but you know, kind of backing up. So, uh, you know, I didn't spend a long time at president. I was out just kind of turning the street up and, and really wanted to make it a career, wanted to learn. I went to a phenomenal company at the time that's no longer in existence called Union Camp. And Union Camp had a real good management training program, you know, real good kind of solid base company. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're aware of them back in the days, but they got bought by International Paper. And so I ended up uh, at International Paper. And for me, the experience at International Paper was phenomenal. I had a 10-year run with them, treated me very well, gave me a lot of opportunities to move around the country and do different jobs. So super excited about my history there. And then I went to work for Temple Inland. And the story to be told there is, is uh, one of the senior executives went over there and, and really brought several of us over to the help run Temple Inland. Temple Inland had got bought by IP. So back to your point about mergers in the packaging business, uh, it's pretty prevalent. And I was a, a senior dir or director of the company VP and really it was an opportunity to step out and really take a moment to think about you know, what I wanted to do with my career. And at that time, uh, I really saw to your question, an opportunity again for kind of the, the innovative entrepreneurial packaging type companies out there. And I actually bought a, a small packaging company and grew it when I say I had my own. So I, I bought a company called McDonald Packaging, still friends with Jim McDonald today, great guy, uh, and grew that and turned that into Right Pack uh, and then merged that with another independent. Uh, and then to your point earlier, uh, that company was sold to a new indie, which is the Schwarz and the Kraft family. So really uh, been part of the consolidation on kind of from all different angles of the packaging business and really enjoyed both sides. You know, I learned a heck of a lot from, from the integrateds and really gave some management discipline, understood processes and things like that, understood great cost structure. Uh, and then from an independent side, really understood the heart of the customer and, and really pleasing the customer and, and doing all you could to satisfy them. Yeah, it would seem like that, I mean, you, you touched on 
seems like operational excellence and understanding large scale of, of operations, uh, you know, working for a family run business and then acquiring a, a company and growing a company and, you know, acquiring another company and then selling. It's, it, it seems like that's, that's a, a very well-rounded approach, you know, and, and viewpoint that you've been able to get within the entire industry. What, what about that experience, maybe just a couple of things, would you say what is the most critical to establishing the success of, of Specrite? What did you learn a couple of really, uh, you know, kind of interesting anecdotes or principles that you took from all of this vast experience that led you to launch or that you kind of instilled into Specrite? Yeah, you know, thank you. It's great. I've, as I said, I'm super blessed to have some really amazing experiences. And to your point, I've, I look at the trifecta. So I've had a chance to work for corporate American and in all levels, working my way up to an executive level. I've had the chance to come in and buy a business and run it. And I've had a chance now with Specrite to start a business. So really some interesting angles around all of it. And to your question, you know, it's it's got to be in your core, no matter which one of them you do, that you want to do it great. And you want to be part of a, of a really interesting environment and, and really a lot of self-motivation and drive in either, any one of those streams. I think in having the opportunity to have had my own company and, and build that and work for a company that's more structured and historic, in terms of the value to spec, right, it's really helped me give balance. I think the balance is really understanding not only the customer and obviously the vendor relationships, but really employees and, and where they're coming from and the position they're coming from and and then ultimately the right process at the right time. You know, what, what's the right structure to put into the companies that grows and learning a lot, again, from kind of established companies that have done that well for many years, but also understanding the entrepreneurial flexible spirit of having your own business that you've grown. So it does, it's all fortunately has come together to help me kind of formulate a management style that I, I believe has been successful in helping grow spec, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny, I, I say this often that uh, everybody think, you know, every, everyone believes that they're right in what they're doing, because when we are proven wrong, we, as humans, we tend to change, right? So um, a lot of that, it's it's important to, you know, kind of surround yourself, not only with with great life experiences, but also really great people that can help you stay focused and, you know, stay prioritized. And I know I've been able to interact with quite a few people at Specrite over the last few months. And it seems like that's a lesson, another lesson that you've also brought in, right, is surrounding yourself with great people. You know, and that's something you mature through, I think, just in general in your career. But definitely that's a major thing today is, is of, of having the chance to start something from scratch and where you have no, no legacy, you have no culture, you have to try to change or build is really building that culture correct from the start. And that's all about hiring the right people. And, and yeah. we're super fortunate, spec, right, to have some amazing leadership and amazing people uh, helping drive us right now. So, but I want to dig into spec right here in a second, but I'm curious to know you have, so over 20 years, you've talked about the, the vast experience in terms of the, the different kinds of organizations. How has the complexity of packaging changed over, over that time? There hasn't, if we stick to, you know, sort of corrugated paper, it seems like there's been innovations in manufacturing, but for the most part, we still have brown shipping boxes. And I know that's not, I'm well aware of the fact that it's not that simple, right? But I think from what people would see, it's like, it's still a brown shipping box. But but would you agree, it seems like there is a, a higher level of just business acumen and complexity that has come through just 
with consumer demands on sustainability and just in time and e-commerce and all these things have just sort of stacked up over the last few years. How have you kind of seen that shift and move and, and how are you adapting to it? Yeah, no, it, that's the whole kind of story behind everything is that, you know, it's, it's interesting when I first got in the business, two couple things were going on. One is that the maker of product was in control. And, and when I say that, you know, if you may, if you were growing a head of lettuce, you put it in any bag you wanted and put it in any box you want and shipped it to whoever you want. And I'm not going to say life was easy. Obviously, in, in hindsight, it seemed easier uh, or harder then, but it really was easy, very low complexity. And then inventories, you know, everybody carried a lot of inventory and, and the sales cycles were longer and, and the demands were less. And so things just kind of worked historically. I, I think what I saw to be the first kind of change to that is when you had the massive retailers starting to consolidate, you know, all the mom and pop retailers were gone. Uh, the big discount stores had just started with, you know, BJ's and others on the East coast and, and they started to, to morph. And what happened is they started to change the dialogue about what the package should look like or what the package should be. And that was, that's happened, you know, 20 plus years ago. I worked on one of the first pallet packs for BJ's for ice scrapers of all things. And, you know, it was 20 something pieces that took 18 minutes to build and they were used to throwing ice scrapers in a brown box and shipping it wherever they want. It was a dynamic shift to people's businesses. And so much so that a lot of people did that by the side and opened other buildings and put a lot of labor to it. And that's only just to your point, accentuated with, you know, e-com and globalization and all these things happening. And then really what's gone on is just this huge awareness need. You know, people want to know, you know, is it sustainable? Where is it sourced from? What it's made from? And so the, what I look at is the role of packaging has risen and it's done it over time with a lot of energy, you know, effort, putting more people out it, relying on new vendors. But what's ha- what was the missing element that I think is changing now is the C-suite needs to have packaging involved and really understand it from a company strategic level versus kind of just receiving it uh, as it's coming. And I think I've seen what's exciting to me is I've seen packaging rise to level in the organizations that needs to have a voice about the impact uh, to the company and to the future direction of the company. And what's happened short of that is just this massive trying to catch up. And that's created what Kellogg's calls Skewzilla and all these other things. It's everybody's just done it, trying to keep up, keep up with versus being purposeful and at the table of decision-making. Mm. So are you, are you hoping to see more chief packaging officers? Is that? Yeah. You know, uh, you know the, the convergence. Kind of yeah. You know, the convergence, I think is a, it's, it's amazing time for packaging. I think the, the convergence of product and packaging are tighter than ever. And, and the, the product is more heavily relying on packaging than ever. And because of that, that means that you should have a more prominent role at the table of helping create the volume and the revenue for the company going forward. So absolutely. I think it's, yeah. it's the, it's, I think it's really, you know, talk, historically they talk about the golden age of packaging, you know, back in the industrial revolution. I think we're in that golden age. Coming, I agree. You know. I completely agree. I, I did a, uh, was that for oh it was i it was a keynote speaker for a wine and craft symposium recently and i shared with them that i was talking about social media and how packaging can adjust with social media specifically for wine and spirits and there was a stat in january of 2021 that there were over 200 youtube videos that had a million plus views that were only unboxing videos that's yeah. all it was <laughs> so you know what what would that be 200 million people in a month watched other people talk about your packaging. It's, it's mind blowing to really think about the, not just the, 
the functional aspect of packaging, but now the importance of it, it, the, there's still the retail shelf experience of packaging that's still going to be important. Retail's not going away. Amazon didn't buy Whole Foods on accident, all that stuff. <laughs> However, the the home shelf and that initial like unboxing experience has just become it's become really really important. I completely agree. This is the golden age for sure. Well, yeah, no, and you look at the 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 consumer experience with packaging is bigger than ever. We all get our ten Amazon packages every day in the in the in the, in the driveway. Uh, but in addition to that, you, you think about just the the self building products, you know, IKEA and others that we just never used to experience. And today, packaging is so integral to everything we do. So yeah, I'm excited about the future and and excited kind of where it's going. And I think it's going to be good for for everybody. So so now that we're entering into the golden age of packaging, you have how old is Spec right? How, how long has the company been around? Yeah, about five years. So okay. cool. So we had so our five, first customer uh, four year, about four years ago, Greenway Farms. So yeah. Oh, awesome! Are they still a customer? Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Good to hear. That's the customer retention is critical. Uh, yeah. So what? What was the thing that you set out to solve? Like there's there's a problem, again, similarly, you left the big corporate world to go and buy and run an independent company that, you know, I don't want, you don't have to go through all the, the rigors of that decision-making process. But at the end of the day, entrepreneurial spirit is so cool for me to watch and observe because it's somebody who believes so strongly in solving a specific problem that they're willing to raise money, use their own money, whatever it invests a lot of time, energy, effort, reputation, all of that stuff. They're putting it all on the line because this problem is so important to solve. And they they're like, I think, I think I can do this. And then you go and do it. What was that thing or what were those things that really drove that for you? Yeah, you should have shared that with me before I did it. Maybe I wouldn't have done it. But uh, <laughs> but no, you know, to your point, what I saw, it's really simple. It's empathetic uh, empathy. So I saw a lot of really smart people in my life uh, around me, customers, uh, empl- you know, fellow employees struggling with really, really dumb tasks, you know, f- you know, chasing spreadsheets and chasing data and looking for samples. And I'm like, wow, th- this is a really a lot of brain trust. You could be working on a lot of things if they weren't just chasing data or looking what data was wrong. And so it became, you know, it became a passion. And it's funny, I talked to some of my uh, fellow or former employees from a long time ago in the 12 plus year range. And they said, apparently I was, I was crazy about this back then saying, oh, we need a standardized spec system for the world. And, and obviously way too early and, and not appropriate at the time, but it always was resonating in my head that there's just got to be a better, more organized way to do this. And being somebody that it's tries to be or always has been kind of hyper organized, it was very frustrating. It's frustrating for my brain to think about things in an un- unorganized manner. And then it starts to become kind of to your point of I think this can be solved. I think that enough people are concerned about this and will lean into this that we can solve this and we can create efficiency for everybody. You know, this is doing data right helps everybody. It's the consumer, right. the product, the maker, of the product, the maker, of the packaging. This is good for all. And so that's the passion that got me uh, kind of rolling in it and founding the idea of, of Specrite and, and really early on a, a packaging templated based system. Uh, and it's so funny. I always use the, the joke. The first year, you know, we were just I was in, a, in my own room kind of whiteboarding and had some friends come by and, and some great associates come by and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to think about. It took us a year to come up with one template 
And I look at today, you know, it'll be an hour of our activity today. I'm like, what do we spend a year on? Like, I, today it's so funny. It's like, it seems so hard. Uh, what today seems so simple, which is natural when you start. Yeah. Stuff. But uh, you'd hope so, right? I mean, you, you don't want it to be getting harder to create templates. That would be too difficult. No, no. So it's exciting, but I really started on a path that, that it was about creating this efficiency to let really smart people do better things. I mean, that's, it sounds as simplistic, but that's where it started from. Yeah. Well, you got to have a simple, I think you have to, you have to be able to connect a problem and solve it in a way that people can understand if it's, if it's too complicated, then I think, you know, sometimes people are going to really struggle with it. So we've been talking about it. We've been talking about the problem in your history. And what I've realized is we have not, I haven't asked you a very basic question. Uh, what is spec right? Matthew, <laughs> what what is it that what is it that you do? Uh, what is it that you've built? I think people can probably start to piece it together, not only from the name, uh, but also a little bit from our conversation. But what what is what is the product? Yeah, so the foundation of spec right is spec management. So what is spec management, and what the it's a fundamentally different approach to making product. And what I what I believe is. If you get the spec and the information for the spec correct at a very granular level, DNA level of product, and I can give you some examples, and you get that right, and then you relate those specs together based upon building product and based upon intelligence, you ultimately end up then building bombs or SKUs from that data level of spec management. And then you layer on top of that workflows and analytics. And what's interesting historically, I, I say it, and people have heard me say this before, is you know, spec uh, management would be here today if, in fact, technology came first and product came second. Because it's a very, you know, I'm not, I haven't created anything amazingly complex. It's a very logical step, which is you need to know fundamentally what you're building and then connect those building blocks to create product. That's how houses are built. That's how things are done. And in, in product manufacturing, it didn't happen that way because, as, as many know, the technology for industrial came around in the 80s, roughly, depending on what you're talking about. And product was in existence and back to the earlier part of our story, somewhat low complexity and it was an A to B relationship. And so really it was a financial ledger technology advancement was, was how do we know COGS? How do we know, know what our bill of ladings or, or, or our uh, P&Ls and balance sheets look like? And it really became this complexity rise that we talked about earlier. And people started augmenting that data set with spreadsheets and PDFs and homegrown yeah. systems and things they built and heavy reliance on third parties, et cetera. And all of a sudden we got to this point, it's like, oh my goodness, like, how do we get here? And, mm -hmm. and what we see is the world's not relaxing on its expectations going forward. And so that's really what spec management is. Let's fundamentally rethink how things are done and let's build them from building blocks up to product. And then once you have product, let's layer analytics and workflows and stuff on top of that. So it's, a, again, a fundamentally different way. It's a DNA level. It's a bottoms up build uh, versus a top down look. Got it. And is it a, a SaaS uh, model? Yeah. So everything's in the cloud. I mean, that's the future. Uh, so obviously everything's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a community of, of data, obviously provisioned by clients and then connectivities for their vendors. But yeah, it's a, it's a SaaS uh, model, uh, very much like other ones you've seen. You have primary users that they're in the data, using it every day, doing things, procuring products, making products. Then you have people that are maybe line side quality people looking and making reflecting is that what we're making is it correct and then you have vendors that are feeding data into the system or taking data out of the system so those are really the primary kind of users of the system today got it yeah it, it, and it's it seems you're right it seems so 
there's probably there might even be people listening who aren't yet involved. We've got a lot of college students who aren't you know quite yet in the industry, and it might seem like <laughs> you mean this didn't already exist. Like this is only That's five years old. It's like yeah, this is there are a lot, and I and I work for a packaging manufacturing company, right? There, and I work with a lot of CPG, direct sales, direct to consumer, e-commerce. I work with a lot of different brands across food and beverage and health and beauty and places like that. And yeah, it is shocking to me, right? How many, sorry, uh, but it, it's shocking to me how many people rely on the packaging manufacturer to, to have the specifications for their packaging. And what that means is if you don't control that data, if you don't control it in, you know, in, in a, in a spec right kind of format, then you're sort of subservient to your your vendor in that sense right you yeah you don't, what, you don't know what they're making what's interesting is you know that was always an early topic because obviously i was on the vendor side of, of that relationship and uh, uh you know it's interesting our biggest fans today are actually packaging companies because mm -hmm. i remember we we're at a pack expo a couple of years ago and, and a big uh a plastics manufacturer came running up and, and literally hugged us and said oh my goodness thank you thank you guys and we're like okay what's going on and he's like well, all my clients are on Specry today and they finally know what they're buying and, and yeah. we help them become better. And yep. uh, so again, it's a, it's a net different way to think through things, but this is not punitive. This is collaborative and it's mm -hmm. allowed. And another customer, one of the vendors came up and said, you know, it's, I, I really appreciate Specry because I do some magical stuff in the stuff I make for them that never gets counted when I go against my competitor. Now everybody knows that, that this is, much more dynamic than, than it looks like. And uh, so thank you for that clarity. And so, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey to kind of see the change of opinions. And now we look at it as how do we, how do we create value for everybody through this, through this product? Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more as a, as a, like I said, as a, as a vendor, it's so helpful and so valuable when somebody comes to us and says, this is exactly what I need instead of, can you make this thing? And or even worse, it's, I need you to make packaging for this. And of course, you know, we do that. And, but when it becomes repetitive and you're like, this is the same, we're keep solving the same problem is when it's like, it, you know, it takes there's there, the impact is all the way through the supply chain, right? It's going to cost, it ends up costing more. You end up taking, you're slower to market, your lead times increase, your QA is frustrated. I mean, all of these problems are all interconnected down to that granular core that you talked about, which is somebody saying kind of like what Pantone does, right? Where they're like, this is the color. Yep. We all agree that this is the color. So now we have a standard when you can do that with material specifications. It's, it's equally, if not more critical in my, in my opinion. No, hundred percent. It's funny. So two things you mentioned earlier is it's hard to believe that doesn't exist today. It's actually been my hardest challenge early on was, was convincing people that this was a real thing. Cause they, to your point, and definitely we do a lot of work around academia is it's, it's like, well, it's almost like you can't believe this isn't the way it's done. Well, there's reasons why that is the case and everything, you know, today we could find it hard not to use Uber, but Uber wasn't existent, you know, five years ago. Right. So things yeah. do come and kind of drop into the market when, when they're needed. But to your point, absolutely. I prefer it's back to the thesis is I prefer you as a packaging expert and, and your quality people and other people be working on things that are progressive and, and finding the net new materials for tomorrow and the net better products for tomorrow versus chasing data, trying mm -hmm. to understand what you're trying to do. Uh, let's, let's build upon what we already know. And then lastly, what's really interesting is I'm really interested 
in the data that's been around for a long time. So the Wheaties box that's always been here that's morphed over time. So there's hundreds of millions of data points that, are, that have been in the world today. We've already invented it. We've already created it. Why don't we get that data set accessible and visible for everybody to then create kind of the next generation of product and start seeing rapid advancement. That's how you have rapid advancement is by having a steady state of really good data to play from. And is that sort of the, the future or kind of your vision for where Specrite is going is to be able to be part of this big data world that is allowing companies and brands to innovate on packaging and using your data to drive that innovation or is it part of the driver? Yeah, it's part of the future. And, and obviously that's availed as people want to participate in community or network and things we're building out that, that allows smarter, kind of quicker decision-making processes to your point, knowing things faster ahead of time before it happens. You know, what should things look like? What should things, so, you know, data does that for you. And obviously people want to be participating in that or not, but even in the near term, and I'm talking the next several years, it's really connected in these data streams. Like think about how many uh, if parts of information is duplicated versus just shared, right? So if you have a, say a retailer or, or a restaurant or whatever, and you have a packaging producer and you have the material and the, and the product producer, how many times are they duplicating their data versus just linking or sharing the visibility of the data they need? So I'm really super kind of focused on that whole network piece, which is, hey, I'm this retailer. I want everybody using this bag with this kind of graphics on it. Don't duplicate that, just link it to everybody. You know, and, mm. and, and then if the retailer changes that, which they do, and everybody goes reeling from it late and then have tons of inventory they don't need and repack, instead of that, then that changes and everybody's alerted and they immediately change over, right? So that's the vision I see short-term, longer-term, some of the stuff you're talking about with, with data intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's, it. I mean, again, going back to the, the, hey, this should just exist, right? You would think, however, it doesn't yet. I mean, there, there, there is this duplication and you're, you're so spot on in terms of, as again, from the packaging manufacturing side, we see it constantly where it's like, we'll make something for a brand and they'll say, oh yeah, our other market, we, we did a spec change on that film and this was supposed to have it. And you're yeah. like, well, you have $50,000 worth of stand-up pouches that you approve to run. And again, to, to what you've, you know, what you've already alluded to, that's, that's not only impactful on COGS and your P&L, but we got to do something with all, like something's got to happen with all of this stuff. And it, this is, we've created all this energy. We've emitted all the CO2 in the atmosphere. Right. Now we've yep. got all this waste. So, you know, maybe speak to the sustainability aspect of, of what you're doing as well. No, totally. So you look at and, and you just click through an area that, that I'm passionate about. And we'll talk about kind of sustainability as the world looks at it. But, but stepping back for a minute, there's a tremendous amount of waste done today from bad to bad data to product. I mean, to your point, we were talking to a CPG company, you know, an everyday brand, and they, they lose $30 million of product a year from bad specs or, or bad information getting to the co-packers. When you look at it from a monetary standpoint and you look at a multi-billion dollar company, you can arguably, even though 30 million is a huge number, you can say, ah, you know, it's part of cost of business. But what isn't cost of business or, or shouldn't be is the product that has to get rid of, you know, the, to your point. That's already been admitted. That's been made. That's been energy expanded. Now you got to dispose of it, get rid of it. Even if it's recycled, it doesn't matter. It's still energy. So attacking just all this bad product made in the world today that the consumer may never see it doesn't matter. They don't see it. It's existent. And so I really believe by having the, the right spec, what something should be made of, 
visible to all before stuff happens and the intelligence of what if you do this wrong, what would happen? We'll stop a lot of that. We'll shrink that, what I always call industrialable waste down to, to a number that says, you know, hopefully nothing at some point, right? So super passionate about the impact of data against that to your point, to your story. And then you click through to the sustainability, which most people talk about, which is what's the product in the market? You know, how, what's the carbon footprint? What's it made of? I always say you can't be sustainable if you don't know what you're making, right? And I, and I always enjoy the passion and energy that large uh, company CEOs make about trying to do reduction. And you know this as well as I do. And then you go talk to people doing it. And they go, I don't know, what are we even doing today? I don't know if that's a big number or a small number. And I'm freaking out. And so, again, data helps you make good decisions for sustainability. And whether we you know, give you the visualization through the platform of that or we, we're integrating with other solutions to give that visibility. But I don't think LCA should be an annual event. I think they should be an active mm. event. It should be actively every day you know, are you, are you doing better than you were yesterday? You know, yeah. Or, and is Can it getting you, better tomorrow? Are you already, or is that in the future to be able to connect uh, sort of LCA type data to yep. do comparisons within spec, right? Yeah. So we have, uh, so we're not an LCA a, a database. You know, there are mm-hmm. those out there. Sure. We currently with customers today, they use the data of some spec, right? To power their, their LCAs. And so, yeah, that's active today. They also have customers that use the data in the system for uh, dashboarding or, or awareness of either, you know, carbon footprint of distance traveled or a product and the light weighting of the product. So you look at just a simple brown box. If you're, if you start to, you know, lightweight that product and you start to buy it more regionally based, or you change the size of that structure, that's data that we, that we have at our fingertips today. And all you have to do is parse up and visualize that data to see the trend. And I think, I think you'd you know, love to hear your thoughts on this, but sustainability, still the talking track seems to be a, a, you know, a today and a tomorrow. You know, it's, it's where, but it's a journey. And, and I think mm-hmm. that you have to be able to visualize the data over time to make sure you're still on that journey. You're never going to get there. You're never, you know, until nothing exists, we're not perfectly sustainable. So I, I really look at what's the trends. Are we heading the right way? And then what's the alert system if you start to see that trend dip or, or your, your behavior go in a different direction. Uh, yeah. And so there's a lot of work to be done on changing the talk track. So mine is let's, let's get rid of the allowable waste, the bad word, allowable waste. Let's get, know what you have so you can become sustainable and let's track it over time and get that visibility out there for people. Yeah. And to, to your point also about the collaborative, collaborative, there it is, collaborative nature <laughs> of, of data I mean, just how incredible would it be if it was sort of democratized where somebody could go in and and know, okay, if I switch from, you know, this thick of an HDPE container to a, a flexible stand-up pouch or whatever it is, I, I know that this is what's going to happen because now I have data to make these decisions rather than just stories or... It's so true. Uh, I love it because this is, this is a very good conversation. What I, and you probably see this. We see these great announcements of this really sustainable product comes out and it's really exciting. And then the problem is it can't find product market fit, right? Because either it's, it's produced in the wrong part of the world or, or it's produced mm-hmm. for a product that's, that's focused on, maybe they're focused on chemicals and it should be on, you know, uh, vitamin water or something. What I look at is data connects data. So if I know all these, you know, if they say, hey, it's a really good displacement replacement for this particular type of product, I know where all that is in the world and it could be married up to this option. And then these, these people are going to say, you know, that sounds like a good product. 
we can we can bring the two together instantly, right? Or even futuristic is, hey, I, I think I'm going to make this product. Where should I make it in the world? And it fits this type of product or this type of solution. Where is that best set? You know, and so yeah. it is a whole different way to think about things, but it's not that far out. And it, data has proven success in every other area. And so I don't see that it's not going to be successful in this area. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Well, Matthew, we're, we're here at the end. And so I want to make sure that, you know, we, we kind of talk a little bit about ways that hopefully people are engaged in the conversation. I know that I still have a whole bunch of other questions and I hope that other people do as well and they can reach out to the SpecRite team. So how, what's the best way for people to either connect with you personally or to connect with SpecRite as a company? Yeah, you know, it's, I always laugh. We're not really hard to find. We have a pretty simple naming convention, although we have more Matthews in the team today, but Matthew at SpecRite, it's a pretty simple way to get a hold of me. Uh, okay. Laura at SpecRite, uh, Jim at SpecRite. These are all kind of uh, great people to connect with. Uh, love the love the dialogue, the conversation uh, that we've had today. It's it's highly stimulating. I hope you know many many more people join in the conversation. It's it's not about SpecRite. It's really about specification management and the collaboration of of solutions coming to the table to create just a different you know different way to make things and a different reality for tomorrow for everybody. Yeah, I tell people all the time, nobody's buying your product. They're buying the solution to the problem that they have, right? That's yeah. we're, we're buying an outcome is what we're doing. So I don't go to Amazon because I really want to buy something from Amazon or I don't go to right. whatever the retailer is like I buy the outcome, right? That's what I'm buying. And so, yeah. you know, having having an outcome and it seems like you've got a lot of really positive use cases, the company that's just like oh, $30 million a year. It's like, come on, man, everybody <laughs> wants just because you have wrong specs, like I'm sure yeah. I, I hope that was uh, I hope that was a win uh, for you and for the planet on that one. But Matthew, this has been great. Uh, I'm glad that we both see the same barber. Uh, bald is beautiful. <laughs> and uh, and is it a, is is it a choice awesome. for you or, or it wasn't a choice for me, but but, uh, but you I know, it. it's uh, <laughs> so it started off. Uh, I was a I was a camp speaker at a Christian camp and it was superhero week and I was in my early 20s. And I was newly married and I shaved my head to be uh, Professor X from X-Men yep, for a skit. Yep, yep. And and then after a while, I was kind of like, I sort of like this. And then I tried to grow it out after a few years and it was balding, like pretty good. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go full Andre Agassi. Remember he had the long <laughs> yep. flowing hair and then he started losing it. And he just shaved it all. Yep. I was like, forget it. I just, I just kept shaving it over and over again. So I got to come up yeah. with that cool story. Mine's not so cool. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Matthew, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Great to meet you. And I've heard about you and, and love the passionate conversation. Stay, uh, carry on. This is great stuff. Thank you so much. Please make sure that you like, share, subscribe. Let's spread the good news and the joy that packaging can be in the world. You can find this podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We appreciate the ratings and the comments and the sharing. It's only going to keep getting bigger because packaging is awesome.